1: Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go grab that free PDF, 31 pages on the top 200 drugs, Uh, While you're at reallifepharmacology.com, I've got a bunch of free nursing pharmacology questions. So a great way to test yourself and uh, make sure you're up to speed on uh, knowing your pharmacology and your medication. So again, all those links at reallifepharmacology.com. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is haloperidol. Brand name of this medication is Haldol. And it is a first-generation antipsychotic. So from a broad perspective here, um, first-generation antipsychotics tend to cause a lot more extrapyramidal and movement-type side effects compared to newer second-generation antipsychotics. However, we do see some evidence and some utilization uh, particularly in my practice, I see haloperidol used uh, as needed for hospice patients and end-of-life type situations, for nausea and vomiting, delirium, psychosis uh, type symptoms. So that's probably the most common situation you're going to see it. Occasionally, I have uh, had patients who, uh, with long-term schizophrenia who've been on it for years and years and years and it's been successful for them and they've tolerated it. So I have seen some patients uh, carry over. uh, And again, those are patients who've probably likely been on haloperidol prior to the advent of second-generation antipsychotics, which tend to be a little bit safer as a whole. Um, But again, I think it's important to to note that. Uh, Mechanistically, how do these drugs work? Well, Heldol, haloperidol is a non-selective drug dopamine blocker and primarily at the D2 receptor. Now, if you remember, dopamine uh, plays a role in uh, schizophrenia, of course, and excessive dopamine can induce symptoms of psychosis and too little dopamine in the case of Parkinson's uh, can induce movement disorder, movement type effects. So with that said, haloperidol being a dopamine blocker, You could anticipate not having enough dopamine, part of its adverse effect profile, could be some of those Parkinson's extrapyramidal symptom type effects. Uses, I kind of alluded to a few of them already. Uh, Certainly schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, psychosis uh, in acute situations. Um, Where I have seen it in my practice, again, is that hospice type situation, kind of as needed. Uh, end of life, where patients are having uh, aggression and agitation, hallucinations, delusions that are upsetting, uh, causing anxiety and and the patient to be upset. Uh, acute delirium certainly, I've I've seen it used for that as well, and then nausea and vomiting um, in end of life situations, as well as potentially refractory to um, chemotherapy where other agents haven't uh, been successful. Uh, maybe down the road, you might see a haloperidol used for that as well. All right, now dosage forms. This gets a little uh, quirky. And uh, haloperidol does have a long-acting extended release suspension. And I have seen it from time to time. So again, this is uh, likely going to be used in a patient who has schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, basically a long-term mental illness that needs to be managed with chronic long-term medications. You wouldn't want to give Haldol-Decanoate to a patient who's using it for acute relief. Um, It's an extended-release type of medication, a long-acting injectable antipsychotic. There's also a Haldol-Lactate formulation. And the milligram per mils are dramatically different, but you could understand how it could potentially um, cause errors. And I have seen this come up in practice, and I have seen it um, reported, I believe, to ISMP and other organizations, where, um, whether it be nurses, physicians, uh, pharmacists, whoever, have interchanged those incorrectly or erroneously, and given the long-acting injectable instead of the uh, short-acting injectable so again developing systems processes uh, being put in place where it is difficult to you know interchange these you wouldn't want them sitting right by each other on the shelf and patient or a healthcare professional could easily you know grab one versus the other and potentially uh, inject that erone- erroneously into a, a patient there. So pay attention. If you've got an order for Haldol uh, DEC, uh, decanoate's commonly referred to as Haldol DEC, versus haloperidol lactate, uh, that that could be an issue depending upon where you're working and, and that type of thing. So really, really be careful with that. Pay attention to that. Um, if possible, uh, it would be ideal not to stock both of them. Um, but again, uh, it's important to, to make sure we're paying attention to that and having good systems in place. There's also uh, oral concentrate, which could certainly be advantageous in those hospice end-of-life type patients where um, maybe that, that tablet isn't easily administered to those type of patients. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the tablet formulation as well. Uh, I'm not going to get into the dosing and conversion of, let's say, oral haloperidol to Haldol-DEC, uh, the, the long-acting extended release injectable. Um, but I will give you the ballpark. It's approximately, um, when you're converting somebody, it's approximately 10 to 20 times the oral dose when we're going from oral to deck. dec okay? So that's the approximate conversion. There's clinical factors that can play a role in whether you know, we'd use the lower end or the higher end, that type of thing. There's also a determination whether you're going to um, try to transition someone and keep them on oral for a while during that transition versus a direct transition from oral straight to the injectable. So again, lots of, of factors there. I'm not going to go into each one in detail here. Um, if you're not sure on how to convert somebody, you need to ask somebody who knows uh, what's going on or and or... Um, consult some references and, and resources to get that uh, conversion correct there. All right, let's talk about adverse drug reactions and boxed warnings. So the boxed warning on Haloperidol, like with all antipsychotics, is there's an increased risk of death uh, when used in patients with dementia-related psychosis. Very, very important warning to remember. Um, certainly one that has uh, come up on uh, pharmacology exams and, and board exams throughout my career for sure. Uh, adverse drug reactions, uh, extrapyramidal symptoms, tardive dyskinesia risk. Um, I've gone over those, I think, quite a bit in in previous um, antipsychotic uh, episodes. Not going to go into them a, a ton here, but understand that haloperidol, being a first generation antipsychotic, has a significantly higher risk or tends to be on the higher end of the scale for causing those extrapyramidal symptoms. And that's really the big reason why we don't see uh, haloperidol used long-term in patients for schizophrenia anymore. We see a lot of the second-generation antipsychotics because they've got a lower risk for extrapyramidal symptoms. There is also anticholinergic activity associated with haloperidol. Dry mouth, dry eyes, constipation, sedation, so on and so forth. Uh, Again, not Probably not to the extent of, let's say, a diphenhydramine, a first-generation antihistamine. Uh, Not to that extent with anticholinergic activity, but it does have some and can certainly have some additive effects there. Metabolic syndrome is a potential concern with all antipsychotics like haloperidol here. Uh, I would say it's probably on the lower to moderate end of, of the scale. Uh, with regards to other first-generation antipsychotics, um, but it is certainly something to to pay attention to. Uh, elevations in prolactin levels. Haloperidol is one of the worst when it comes to that, along with uh, risperidone as well. So in in males uh, may certainly lead to uh, sexual dysfunction. Uh, we also have the risk for uh, QTC prolongation with. Um, antipsychotics in general, and haloperidol, of course. Now, metabolism, I do want to mention briefly, and I'm going to cover it a little bit more so in the the drug interaction side of things, but uh, CYP3A4 and CYP2D6 both play uh, a significant role in breaking down the the drug. So with that said, you can imagine uh, from a pharmacogenomics standpoint, so if you've got a rapid metabolizer at CYP3A4, Patients may have reduced effects. If you've got a slow metabolizer at CYP3A4 or 2D6, they may have increased effects. The drug may hang around longer and cause more uh, adverse effects. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study materials like BCPS, NAPLEX, ambulatory care, geriatric exam, go check out meded101.com slash store. We've got a growing list of resources there. Your financial uh, support there helps directly fund this podcast. So uh, I'm greatly appreciative to those of you who have uh, certainly supported meded101.com and obviously help support this podcast as well. If you're another healthcare professional, nurse, med student, PA, Uh, We've got books on case studies, clinical pearls, polypharmacy, drug interactions, lots of great clinical real-world information. So again, all those links you can find meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. All right, let's wrap up with drug interactions. CYP3A4, CYP2D6. Uh, There aren't a ton of CYP2D6 inducers, um, so i wouldn't worry too much about that in in general, Um, but CYP2D6 inhibitors uh, can increase concentrations of haloperidol. So a drug like bupropion, proxetine, uh, those can inhibit CYP2D6 and potentially uh, increase concentrations there. CYP3A4 inducers can lower concentrations. So classic example there being carbamazepine, St. John's wort, and so on covered numerous uh, of those inducers in the past. Those can lower concentrations and maybe maybe make it less likely that a patient responds to haloperidol. CYP3A4 inhibitors, uh, exact opposite. So drug like erythromycin, clarithromycin, uh, they can increase concentrations because they're preventing the breakdown of haloperidol. And then of course, uh, we've got that anticholinergic activity. Again, Not nearly as strong as the dopamine blocking activity, but it is potentially there. So adding other anticholinergics on top of that, uh, TCA's, um, first-generation antihistamines like hydroxazine and diphenhydramine, doxylamine, and so on and so forth, uh, those can have additive effect. Same thing with CNS depressant activity. Uh, Haloperidol certainly can cause some sedation. And with that, drugs like opioids, alcohol, uh, Z-drugs can all worsen that. And then, of course, we've got extra pyramidal symptoms. Uh, so with those extra pyramidal symptoms, we could certainly have additive effects. In general, we typically don't use two antipsychotics together. Uh, however, you may see a drug like metoclopramide used for gastroparesis or nausea and vomiting and that has additive dopamine blocking activity and could increase the risk for extrapyramidal symptoms. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, found it helpful, share us with a friend, colleague, another healthcare professional. Uh, in addition to that, leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And of course, support the sponsor, MedEd101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. With that said, if you've got suggestions uh, for a podcast, you can reach out to me at mededucation101 at gmail.com or Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP on LinkedIn. I thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.